2: And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina, And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, today we've got a fascinating episode. We've got David Lay
1: from the University of British Columbia. Yeah, David Lay is a geographer. And one of the interesting things about him is you don't think of geography and, and real estate as kind right. of coexisting, right? It's urban planners, it's economists. But David... Lay has been studying the Vancouver real estate market since the early 70s when he moved wow. here. Wow. And he's he's the go-to. So, I mean... So, he's, he's 40 years plus
0: yeah. on this market.
1: And, I mean, it's funny because he's talking about Expo 86 as a turning point. He's looking at Local factors in terms of how the real estate market's changed combined with global factors. Right. Very interesting uh, conversation. And we also talked to him a little bit about what the future holds. And for a guy who's been studying it for 40 years, Take he's, he's
2: got a good idea. Yeah, for sure. But the other thing is, Matt, you know, I didn't get a chance to listen to the interview. I'm, I'm super excited about that. But yeah, you were, on, you, you were I, away. I was away. You had a good chance to chat with him. But I, we have been trying to get David on the program for quite some time. He's and a busy guy. He's a super busy guy, but his work is fascinating. So you do not want to miss this interview.
1: That's absolutely um, correct.
2: Before we get to our interview with David, though, uh, did anyone out there get the deal of the month?
1: Yeah, that went out today. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so if you've signed up, and a lot of you have, if you signed up to the weekly email list, yeah. you're going to get a deal every single month. The first one went out today. Can't tell you anything more about it.
2: It's super exciting. It's super exciting. And actually, we we combed for deals all the time. We're doing this because this has been feedback from our listeners. People have reached out and said, hey, do you have any kind of special deals? We're just going to put it out once a month. You don't know when it's going to come. You got to be on the list. Sign up. Go to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com and sign up on our mailing list. That's right. Also, Matt, before we get to our interview with David, we did hook up with Junction Media and they're they're awesome guys. And again, this is a deal just for the listeners of our program. If you're a realtor out there and you want to sign up for social media training, there is a course. It's taking place on November 21st at Blue Hotel in downtown Vancouver. You got to go to real social.ca, real social.ca, and sign up. At the top, you can sign up, and if you're a listener of the podcast, you're going to get twenty percent off. Yeah, Connor and Flynn are fantastic. Those guys are great. And anyway, so we're we're happy to connect with them. They're giving our listeners a little bit of of, of of a a deal,
1: bit of a deal, Bit bit of a deal. But Adam, maybe we shouldn't take up too much time here. We got a long talk with David, and it's not to be missed. Absolutely, enjoy. Okay, so I'm here with David Lay, Professor in the Geography Department at UBC. How are you doing, David? I'm doing very well, thank you. Great. Can you just start by telling us a little bit about yourself?
0: Yes, indeed. Well, I was born in the UK. I did my undergraduate degree there. I did my graduate degrees in the US, in Pennsylvania. I came to Vancouver quite a long time ago now, in 1972, And have been in geography there ever since.
1: So one of the questions that jumped out at me, David, was we've talked to a lot of people on this podcast, mainly, you know, urban planners, economists, a historian or two. As a geographer, what got you interested in Vancouver real estate as a topic of study?
0: Well, my field is urban geography, so when I moved here, obviously, I was looking for urban topics to do research on, and I latched onto the topic of gentrification. You probably know that term, the the movement of uh, wealthier people into neighborhoods that have historically housed poorer people. That's the simplest definition of it. That was going gangbusters in Vancouver in the early 70s with the arrival of the condo just a few years earlier. And I met an elderly woman socially who was just being evicted from her home in the Fairview District. And I looked into that a little more and saw that hers was not an isolated experience and I uh, became interested in the whole uh, gentrification question in older inner city neighborhoods and and worked on that for about 20 years. I wrote a book in the mid-90s, which kind of pulled it all together. And by then, um, I was looking at inner city housing markets across the country from Halifax to Vancouver. So, as is often the case with research, it's sort of happenstance that introduces you to a topic, and then uh, the momentum carries you on.
1: Right. Well, gentrification is a, a rich field of study in Vancouver, for sure. You mentioned that you've looked across the country from Halifax to Vancouver. Do you find that Vancouver fits better in, in a Canadian context, or is there is there another uh, you know, Pacific Rim context? Uh,
0: that's that- that's a great question. Now, are you talking about the present day, or are you talking about that period when I was doing gentrification research?
1: You know what? That That's a good question. Maybe when you were doing that research, because often people put Expo 86 as, as when the world sort of… Uh, when
0: the world turned. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I think that's that's a pretty accurate assessment my basic argument during the period that I was doing that work was that up to the late 80s we were really looking at a made in Canada set of issues that there was pressure on the inner city there was a new uh, demographic cohort the baby boom that was Exercising pressure on the inner city. They wanted a more urbane lifestyle. There are a lot of them. In the 60s, they were students. In the 70s, uh, they became young professionals. And the development companies that served them were overwhelmingly Canadian companies from Toronto, Winnipeg, Vancouver. And Moreover, this was very much an inner-city phenomenon. This this rapid uh, redevelopment. The, the there was very little going on in the single-family neighborhoods during that period. So I, I talk about this as a as a made-in-Canada set of issues, which is quite different from the period since Expo.
1: Can you speak a little bit about since Expo in Vancouver and and what changed?
0: Yes. Well, I think you've got to remember where we were in B.C. uh, in the early 80s. The economy, the resource-based economy, that was our economy, uh, was in trouble. And government was really looking quite desperately to see how to jumpstart the economy and maybe move it from the industrial to the post-industrial era. And the bright light globally at that time was what was happening in Asia-Pacific. The, uh, as they were called, the Four Tigers and Japan in the 70s and 80s, exercising enormous growth, potential, and actual growth. And I think as politicians, especially politicians in BC, look for problems, uh, for solutions, Inevitably, they were drawn, their eyes were drawn westwards to that region. And uh, there was a desire to get coupled into this area uh, of tremendous growth and economic development. And that's what Expo amounted to. Expo was showcasing this region for investors Possibly migrants, so I don't think that was very high on the agenda at the provincial level at that time. Certainly investment was. And uh, Expo 86 then brought people here and and just like the Olympics uh, uh, a few years ago, uh, advertised the city internationally internationally. Something else happened at the same time that was very important, and that was the creation of the investor stream in the business immigration program that became available the same year, 1986, and that opened up a flood of immigration from East Asia taking advantage of, in particular, wealthy people taking advantage of the investor option. So, 86, I see as a real threshold as we move from a made-in-Canada argument uh, around real estate to a much more complex situation where global factors uh, are certainly prominent.
1: Fascinating. You touched on a lot of topics there that are really interesting, David. We've heard a lot about Vancouver as being one of the superstar cities, you know, along with Sydney, London, Hong Kong, New York. Is this kind of a a sort of global real estate trend then that you're describing? Because it seems like there's some factors here that are pretty specific to Canadian policy and and provincial uh, dynamics as well.
0: Well, uh you're right and that's where we get into the question of you know the movement from the national to the global reminds us and this is something that geographers always emphasize there are different scales in explanation there's uh, the global scale there's a the national scale there's the provincial scale there's the urban scale there are different factors that operate at each of those scales and I think increasingly we see them combining in some complex ways. So while we can indeed recognize some global processes, as you suggested, those global processes intersect with more more particular issues in this province and this province is part of this nation. So any explanation of the current real estate market needs to operate uh, really, at those different spatial scales. Now, the the specific question you asked uh, about Vancouver, is it one of a set of star cities? Well, it clearly is. But I think you've put your finger on something important, and that is that what's happening here is not unique to here, that uh, there are other cities. I call them gateway cities because they're gateways between national and global uh, flows of people and uh, capital. So gateway cities like Los Angeles, San Francisco, New York, London, Singapore, Sydney, these gateway cities are all experiencing similar pressures in their housing markets. Some are are closer to us and some are more distant. The Sydney market, I think, bears quite a few similarities with the Vancouver market. But even if you could go to London, uh, you can see some very similar processes at work there, though, of course, reflected through the particularities of government policy and whatnot in the UK. So uh, we are not unique, but as we think of not just global processes, but provincial and national processes, we are nonetheless different from other gateway cities.
1: In thinking about gateway cities and sort of how stark the change has been over the last, say, 30 years, it sounds like, with the emergence of these cities in a lot of ways. Where do you see the future of Vancouver? Like, this doesn't seem like something that's going to change anytime soon.
0: Well, I mean, it depends a lot on how the global meets the local. So globalization and gateway cities go hand in hand. I think an important question is, to what extent are there checks and balances on global processes in different jurisdictions? One might look, for example, at Singapore, a city-state that we think of as being very, very friendly to the market, and indeed it is, but it nonetheless has a very highly regulated housing market, and in the last five years has introduced a large number of taxes and other policies to check the kinds of price inflation uh, that we've seen here. And I I might add, with some success, they've had 15 consecutive quarters in Singapore of a steady state housing prices. So, you know, looking to the future, it depends, I think, what policy decisions are made. Global processes are are not going to go away, as, as you implied. But how we engage them, in other words, how the national and provincial scales interact with the global scale, is really up for grabs. It's up for Canadians to decide.
1: Can you speak a little bit more about the types of policies implemented in Singapore? Like, have you looked into that?
0: A little bit, yes, because I've been interested in my research in in precisely the kind of way you're questioning me now, looking at Vancouver in a bigger context so that we can learn from what's happening in other places. There is uh, a tax of similar to our 15% tax here, but there is also a seller's tax, which is an anti-speculation tax in Singapore, so that if you buy and sell a property, within a short period of time, you are taxed. And you are taxed on a sliding scale. I think the original numbers were, if you sold it in less than a year, you were taxed 12%. In less than two years, 10%. And and so it went on uh, up to, I think, four years. I think the fifth year, there was no tax. So you can see the effect there is, uh, is to try to check uh, speculative activity. Uh, and there's been a fair bit of talk uh, by the mayor of Vancouver about the need for some kind of speculation tax. I think the Singapore case is quite an interesting one to, uh, to follow up on. So um, the, um, the other thing in Singapore... Uh, is that there's a differentiation in tax levels for different groups of people. If you are a non singaporean if you are a permanent resident, if you are a uh, native-born Singaporean, then the taxes impact you in different ways. Similarly, if the sale uh, involves a second house as opposed to your primary residence, Uh, the taxation uh, differs again. So uh, they've introduced uh, a number of levers of this kind, and Singapore, which has had serious booms and busts in the past, they recognize the disruptive effects of that to local economies and local societies, and I think they've controlled it quite effectively.
1: Interesting. Just... Two more questions here, David. If you have if you have the time, you lived in Vancouver. You said you you moved here in seventy two. You were very interested in urban geography since then. Would you have ever say at in Expo or in the early nineties predicted where we are now? Has this been a big surprise
0: to you, or uh, I think the surprise is the scale of the change. You've been able to see the direction of the change really since about. I think it was 1991 that Vancouver prices exceeded Toronto prices and we've been on an upward uh, trajectory ever since then but I think the the persistence of that trend and indeed its its rapidity in the last few years I don't think anyone could have expected the 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 extraordinary increases in 2015 to 2016. Right. I mean, in hindsight, they become very understandable, but uh, uh, they were not they were not really predictable.
1: And, and I'm wondering when you say in hindsight they become understandable because we're uh, we we've talked to a lot of people. Can you speak a little bit more to that?
0: Well, I think that there is very strong evidence that the huge exodus of capital from China uh, in the period from 2014 to 2016 impacted a number of housing markets in gateway Mm cities. I mean, their foreign reserves fell by a a trillion dollars uh, in a very short period of time. Uh, Not all of that, of course, was going into real estate But there was a tremendous desire by people to uh, diversify their portfolios globally. And uh, for the Chinese, real estate has always been the number one investment preference. If you look at a middle class or wealthy Chinese uh, household, their portfolio has a much higher weighting to real estate than you would find uh, in a typical Canadian portfolio, so, so there is uh, there is an orientation to invest in real estate. So you've got a huge amount of money leaving China. That money has an orientation towards real estate investment, and it comes to a certain select group of cities. And the most favoured region globally uh, has been the west coast of North America. So L.A., San Francisco, Vancouver were the three most favored cities uh, for many years. Uh, Vancouver has slipped down uh, a bit in the last uh, year and a half. Uh, First of all, I think prices were seen to be so very high here. And secondly, of course, a 15% tax was, was as it was intended to be, uh, cooled some of that uh, demand
1: right. One last question for you here, David. As a geographer, what what do you think geography brings to the to the study of real estate? What what is specific for your discipline in, when looking at at uh, real estate as a topic of study?
0: Well, good, good good question. I think that what I of course encounter people from other disciplines uh, in uh, in this research. I think what geography brings is a a desire to be grounded, a desire to be uh, responsible uh, to evidence, very much Mm -hmm. evidence-driven that we find in particular places. I mean, I would contrast that with other positions that seem quite abstract and theoretical and, uh, frankly, not awfully realistic in their assumptions, I think what urban geography brings is a desire to to go to the evidence to be grounded, to look at uh, real estate markets not in isolation uh, but in in their contexts, and those contexts include the different scales that we talked about earlier, Right. Uh, the local, the regional, the national, the global. So you bring in all of those scales into the story you tell.
1: Well, fantastic. Maybe we'll leave it there, David, but thank you again so much for your time, and this was, uh, this was a great conversation. I think our listeners are really going to enjoy it.
0: Thank you very much.
1: Okay, have a good day. Nice
0: to chat to you. Bye-bye. Absolutely,
1: bye now. So there you have it, folks. Our discussion with David Lay, geography professor over at UBC. And um I thought that was a fascinating conversation.
2: Super interesting. Yeah, absolutely. He's he's uh I'm so happy we finally got him on the program, yeah, which is Yeah, it's great. a long
1: time coming. Long and, time uh, coming, but he's... super
2: exciting and I'm and I hope that everybody uh there was obviously a lot of takeaways there uh which is great. So hopefully you found that useful. Um uh, Matt, before we sign off for the day though, um head over to our site. We've had so many people sign up for private client services yeah. and it is honestly the best research tool out there. You get listings usually about 36 to 72 hours before they hit public MLS you also get sold prices it's it's basically
1: realtor level information that you get realtor getting. level information on PCS one thing we should point out here is a lot of people signing up to PCS are not as enthusiastic about the service on their phone the mobile app yeah and and yeah. that's true it's it's the best out there when you're sitting at a desktop or laptop a little clunky on your phone little clunky on your phone but we have we have something that we're just working on right now it's a a Let me fantastic. ask you: Do you get sold prices? You do get sold prices. Can
2: you point the phone at a building and find out if there's any listings there? You
1: can do that. It's can an app. You, can you text a realtor directly if you have a question? You can. You can. This is this is what I mean. This mobile it actually app sounds really interesting. We're we're working on right now. It's going to be on our site soon. If you want to essentially help us beta test it, make sure that it's working uh, for us and our clients. Get, get in, in touch. touch.
2: For sure, get in touch. Um, Next week, Matt, we've got six reasons why you're not an investor.
1: Yeah. And uh, we don't mean to beat you down, but uh, come back and we promise to beat you down. (laughs) Yeah, we'll beat you down some more. And it's a perfect one because, you know, hey, we just finished November 11th, Remembrance Day. There's some opportunities. There's opportunities pushing forward to New Year's here. So we're going to talk about some investment strategies for next week. Sounds good. But Matt, how can people get in touch with you? Yeah, especially if you want to try that mobile app or you want me to help you sign up your PCS account to be the most effective, it is actually more challenging than it sounds to get it to the exact parameters that make sense. 778-847-2854 or Matt at com, And you? Or you can try me at
2: 778 866 or Adam at Have a great week.
1: Take care, guys.
2: Feasibility and efficiency prioritized every step of the way. Learn more at commonground-consulting.com or 604-807-6419.
1: We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down.